Mania Show, where we focus on God and family. In this edition, we're going to focus on the book of Revelation. We're actually going through a small group right now, and we're going to be really looking at the historical aspect of Revelation and then going through all the different chapters. So in this edition, we're going to really go through that. So I am Tanya. I'm Michael. And we're going to go ahead and get started. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to Michael as we get started, and uh, we'll be, be able to learn a little bit more about the history of Revelation. Yeah, we're covering the uh, book of Revelation today, one of the easier books of the Bible <laughs> yeah. to understand. We, kinda, we can get through the book of Revelation very quickly, I think, because it's so easy. But uh, uh, it seems like with Revelation, and maybe this is just kind of personal experience, but it seems like people are either obsessed with end times or they tend to ignore it, uh, mm -hmm. tend to be kind of scared um, about it. Um, where, where do you tend to fall on this? You know, so we know that the word of God, it's alive and active. And this is just this book, not that I want to diminish it at all, but this does have a lot of very difficult passages. Um, and so this is to me, I would say it is scary if you don't know Christ because Jesus will come back and reign and have judgment upon the earth. So I would say for me, this is more about truly are we called to endure as believers until the end. And so for me, it's more of an encouragement of where I am in my faith and to push forward and to actually tell people about Jesus Christ because this judgment is, is very scary. It is, but it's interesting, though. It, it does tend to be one of the more popular studies. If you have a, um, a Bible study and you announce it's going to be on Revelation or, or a pastor has a sermon series and it's going to be on Revelation, they're usually pretty well attended and there's, it's pretty, pretty popular. People want to know about the book of, of Revelation. It, it's in the Bible. It's, it's a book that's harder to understand, and so they would like a little guidance on how to understand it. So it, it is actually a pretty... Um, a, a pretty popular study study to have, but to kind of dive right into it, um, I wanted to do a little background on the book of, of Revelation. It's always good to kind of have some background on a book of the Bible before you dive in and study it, yeah. um, because there's some important techniques to help interpret a book, to help understand it, so you know what it's being said one of one of the first things that's very important to know about a book of the bible is what is the genre what's the form or style that it is written in um it's one of it's one of the keys to understanding scripture accurately is to know what genre the book is in it, it could the book could be in history sometimes a book is mostly history like genesis exodus Deuteronomy, Joshua, you know, those books that are just, they're talking about the history of, of Israel. You got poetry, um, like Psalms, that's, that has a lot of symbolism and fi figure of speech and rhythm and meter and structure to the psalm. You got prophecy, like all mm -hmm. the books of the, of the prophets. You got wisdom literature, like Job, Ecclesiastes, and, Pro uh, and Proverbs. Um, history and law tend to be a little bit more straightforward. We tend to want to write in a way that other people understand exactly what we're saying. 
And so history and law can be straightforward. Applying the law can be a little difficult, but you usually can tell what the law is trying to say. When it comes to like poetry, wisdom, or prophecy, those can sometimes be harder because they're intended to kind of get you to think. So they're not necessarily written so straightforward. There's like with poetry, there's a lot of metaphors, a lot of similes, symbolism, um, so that you ponder and think and do a little mental exercise in order to to figure it out. Not that that any meaning can can possibly be derived from this, but but because uh, poetry they'll give you clues as to what they're trying to say, but just enough to, so that you can think about it. Wisdom literature is is a lot the same way. They they'll say something in a way that's that in a riddle almost to kind of get you to think. Right. Um, and, and prophecy is a lot of ways, too, because a prophet may not get a, a firm vision of, of the future um, or what God is wanting to relate to his people. He, he may only get kind of, kind of glimpses of it. And so um, it, it can kind of be a little vague even to the prophet. Yeah. Um, what can make it even a little harder is sometimes he may think he's talking about something in the very immediate future, mm-hmm. and he may very well be, but God may also intend for it to have applications later on um, in, um, in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, a big example is in Isaiah when uh, he talks about what everybody considers to be the devil, talks about old morning star. Isaiah 14, uh, starting in verse 12, where it talks about how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Lucifer just means day star. Son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who are weak in the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne over the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of of the north. I will ascend both the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Everybody has considered that to be a prophecy, a look into the spiritual realm of the devil. But this is specifically talking about Babylon and a leader of Babylon. So which is it? Mm-hmm. Well, it could be both. You know, the prophet Isaiah could be talking about a leader of, of Babylon, while at the same time not realizing he is also talking about the spiritual realm and about uh, Lucifer uh, the devil. So um, prophecy can have layers like that, which makes it even even more difficult, complicated, complicated yeah. to um, to, uh, to discern. Um, so which which genre of the Bible do you believe Revelation is? I would say, I mean, there's a lot there, but I would say prophecy because, and maybe I'm <laughs> incorrect here, but. You know, I think about all the prophets that spoke a lot of these things that we see in Revelation. Um, and so it's it's a book, and I'm sure you'll get there, written by John, um, giving us insight into what is going to happen. So what will happen in the future is specifically to those who reject the deity of Jesus Christ. Yes, correct. It is prophecy. Here's a bonus question, though, is <laughs> what uh, type of prophecy 
is it? There's a specific type of prophecy. Any idea what that might be? That one's a little harder. Yeah, I think so. Um, and you put me right on the spot. So, uh, um, yeah, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> <laughs> it is apocalyptic uh, prophecy. Okay. That's, yes, a, that's a yes, hard one. That's, yes. that's not as well Like in well Spanish, apocalipsis. Apocalipsis. That's where yeah. they get it from. Apocalypse is simply a Greek word that means revealing or revelation. So the book is sometimes called apocalypse or in like in Spanish, apocalipsis. Uh, or it's called revelation. It's not called revelations with an S. That's a common mistake that we all make from time to yeah, time. I think I've heard it as revelations. Right. It, it's revelation. It's a it's a, a revealing or revelation. It reveals a lot about the future in a very unique way. Um, so it's apocalyptic prophecy and the characteristics of a, of apocalyptic prophecy that, that scholars, you know, they like to group everything together to help interpret it. So if you group a whole bunch of apocalyptic prophecies together and study that, it can kind of give you clues as to how to interpret this apocalyptic prophecy. And there's many characteristics. Um, I, I list kind of the main ones uh, to kind of understand it. Um, not all apocalyptic prophecies have all of the characteristics, but they're going to have most of it in order to kind of put it in this special grouping. But mm -hmm. they apocalyptic prophecy, t and see if this sounds familiar to the book of Revelation, um, <laughs> tends to have a lot of symbolism, yes. angels and yes. demons, yes. gives a look into the spiritual realm. Some common examples besides the book of Revelation are the book of Daniel. Ezekiel, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Joel. There's also the book of Enoch, which is, a, is not in Scripture, but it was a very popular book in the, in the Old Testament, very old book um, that was very popular in Apocrypha some circle. Like right, extra-canonical books. Some call it, refer to them as, a, as part of the Apocrypha, but it's uh, the book of Enoch was a very popular book, very, very apocalyptic. Um, revel, uh, they Apocalyptic literature tends to have a revelation by a heavenly messenger in a vision or a dream. Um, there's a chronology of past, present, and future events. It's highly symbolic, highly coded, tends to predict a series of catastrophes as a sign of the coming of the end. Not the end of the world per se, but history ends and a new world order begins, a glorious time. Um, it's often written to an oppressed people in order to give them hope. The, the, cast, the catastrophes are judgments on evil, so the oppressed righteous win in the end. So there's a glorious day to come. It encourages us now to hang in there and yeah. persevere because good times are coming. They call this the day of the Lord. That's what it was referred to throughout the Old Testament, the day of the Lord, which, which was first a judgment on evil, the oppressor evil nations, and then there would be a return to an Eden state for the righteous. So that's that tends to be the, um, the 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 characteristics of apocalyptic literature. Um, there's also an apocalyptic worldview, and not too many people um, know too much about that either in the general population. But um, there are people that tend to see the world through the lens of an apocalyptic belief, and we probably all know a few that are like that. You talk yeah. to somebody even nowadays, and you got you know that they just, they, they know a lot, a lot about the book of Revelation. They read a lot of books on the topic. And um, a lot of the conversations that you have with them tend to turn to the, the end times. They tend to, you can just tell that they have a very apocalyptic kind of worldview. Other, other examples would be like the Dead Sea Scroll 
community. If if you know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, where uh, around 1947, a um, a kid was throwing a rock in a cave and heard something break, and he went in there and discovered uh, a jar that had all these scrolls in it. They didn't know quite what they had, but they sold it to somebody for for way less than they probably could have, and it was like the discovery of the century. And then they started excavating all these caves um, near the Dead Sea and found all these scrolls, which gave us a real big in look, in, in, inside look into the Bible and other writings around the time, really upheld a lot of what the Bible said, how the Bible was preserved throughout time with, uh, without changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a lot of apocalyptic literature, and you could tell by this group, the Essenes, that they were just, they were living in the wilderness. They, they had vows of chastity, and they were just waiting for the Lord to come imminently. And it kind of guided how they, they, they viewed all of life. The Thessalonians, if you look at the book of the letter to the Thessalonians, um, Paul, God, through Paul, wrote a lot about the end times to the, to the Thessalonians, mm-hmm. um, one of which was, why, is, why are so many people stop working? Um, and, uh, it was very po- people believed that they must've had a very apocalyptic kind of worldview because they had, they, that so much was written to them about kind of setting them straight on how they viewed the end times as well as why you, you, you're not working. They probably weren't focusing so much on careers because Jesus is coming any day now. Um, so they were preparing. <laughs> they were preparing. So they had a very apocalyptic worldview. John the yeah. Baptist would be another common person yeah. with an apocalyptic viewpoint. I mean, he was living in the wilderness, um, eating locusts and honey, and proclaiming the day of the Lord. The Messiah is is coming. So, you know, his his whole outlook was was on on that. Um, so it's not a, it's not a bad outlook to have, um, and it's just. Um, you know how how much emphasis are we going to put on the the end times, and if if it's a world so much that it's a worldview that um, uh, just to kind of say how it's it's not only a type of prophecy, but there's communities that tend to have a, an apocalyptic worldview and tend to gather a bunch of apocalyptic um, writings. Um, but not only is it an apocalyptic prophecy, but it is also an epistle. You know mm-hmm. what an epistle is? <laughs> like a pretty much like a story, like not a story, but more so of a um a letter, a letter written to the believers. Um so that they were aware of what was going on. Like Paul wrote many epistles um in the New Testament to tell people what was going on, what not to do, uh like in the Corinthians, you know, um, to be, you know, pure, not sexual immorality, just, you know, not, uh, doing idols, things like that. So it was almost like, a he, here's a heads up, letting you know what not to do and what to do and continuing to worship Christ. Right. So an, an epistle is simply a letter. letter. It's kind of a, <laughs> we always like these churchy words yes. for, for things, but it just simply means a letter and the letters at the time were were very similar to our own letters now the only difference there was a few differences um they usually stated who they were to and who they were from Um, mm -hmm. at the very beginning um which i think is a better way makes more sense to me than you know if you get a letter and you're like oh the first thing you want to know is who it's from you got to go all the way to the end if it's a long letter flip flip through some pages to figure out who it's from makes more sense to be 
uh, at the beginning. So I think that makes more sense. They were to and from right at the beginning, along with a few notes of greetings and blessings, and then they would go into the to the letter. Um, they tend to be a little bit more personal than you know, like your, which makes sense than a general theological treatise. But they could still they still contain oftentimes, especially the books of the Bible, the letters in the in the Bible contain some profound theology um, as well. But it's it's helpful to know that you're dealing with a letter. Um, in order to, to know how to interpret this and, and, and understand why some things might be a little bit more informal and personal and, and to know a little bit something about the audience and who it's spoken to because um, one of the first keys to interpreting a book of the Bible is to understand first what it meant to the, the people that it was written to at the time. Um, and that's very important to determine that first in order to to understand what is what is being what is being said. So um, so I think you mentioned before, but I'll ask you again, who who wrote? Who wrote um, the book of Revelation? John. Which John? John the Apostle. Yes, John. it's not John. It's not John the Baptist because <laughs> people get it confused with John the Baptist because there's two different Johns. And I would say John, the beloved one, because, um, you know, he wrote the book of John and he was referred to as the beloved, the loved one. Um, so it would be John. Yeah, and the apostle. John the Apostle is the majority um, opinion, the traditional opinion. There's a lot of evidence in the very early church that his, in church history for the author being John the Apostle. But, you know, the, the book itself only states that the letter is from somebody named John who was exiled on the island of Patmos. You know, John was a very popular name at the time, but it was it was understood and, and early writings, very early writings, um, just acknowledge John the Apostle as being the author. Um, now, there have been some critics of the book who who focuses on, focus on differences in writing style from the other writings by John the Apostle and think that another leader in the church of Ephesus wrote it who was also named John. Um, there was also a prominent church leader in the church of Ephesus where where John was from, um, John the Apostle was from, that, that maybe this other John, who they call John the Presbyter, Presbyter just means elder or leader, um, that maybe he wrote it instead. And there are actually a couple of scholars that have made the argument that uh, have suggested that John the Baptist wrote it, or somebody from his apocalyptic community kind of in his name. Um, but th this theory hasn't gained much traction, but there, but it is out there. So those are kind of the possibilities of who wrote it with, of course, John the Apostle being the main one um, who is, who is uh, writing, uh, who is said to have written it. Um, this is a letter, and he wrote it to the seven churches in the province, the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. There were seven churches within 50 miles of each other right there, um, that uh, was in his uh, area of influence. And while he was um, on the island of Patmos, where he was arrested and, and put in exile on this little speck of dirt where, where um, there was hard labor and things like that, it was kind of a prison colony on the island of, of Patmos. And while he was there, he got a vision from 
from Jesus, and um, he wrote down this vision, and he, he sent it to the seven churches who he first wrote a letter, uh, something personal about each church, but every church, they passed it around. Every church read the whole letter and read what was sent to the whole letter, and of course it was passed around to to other churches widespread and, and ended up becoming scripture because of, of what it has to say, of course, about the, um, about the end times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to say too, <clears throat> this was the John that was, so, you know, a, a lot of people suffered in the name of Christ and John was uh, submerged in a cauldron of hot oil. And actually this is the John that, they tried to kill him, and then they put him, uh, they sent him to the island of Patmos. Um, but, you know, just reading a little bit about this particular John, when I actually started studying Revelation with another friend of mine, you know, we were really in awe of how he stood for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And here he is submerged in hot oil survived it and was then sent to the island of Patmos where he started to get these visions that the Lord gave him to write yeah and you know <laughs> you can't get them one way get them another way and you know and sometimes actually killing somebody and creating them as a martyr can can actually work against you and so so at another point in time it's like okay maybe it's best to, to do away with this popular person by just exiling some him somewhere and, um, on an on an island so yeah. he's he's not dead he can't become a martyr right but he still loses a lot of his effectiveness because he's I'm glad away. that you said martyr because you know in studying that too martyr really means witness so being a witness for Jesus Christ you know um, and you know we we think about martyrs dying but yeah like exactly what you said you know he <laughs> they sent him off to this island and little and behold he's writing this amazing apocalyptic book right um besides not only just looking at genre um and and who wrote it but it's also important right off the bat to know when it was written these are one of these things that if you have a good study bible it's, it's a good idea not to just skip over the, the, the notes at the beginning that just kind of lets you know some of these things so you know how to approach the book and how to, how to study it. Um, and, and one of those is like, when, it, when was it written? It was, it was widely accepted by historians that it, it, it was written in A.D. 95 and 96. I mean, even, mm -hmm. even people that don't agree with the book or are critics of, of the book there's yeah. there's pretty wide uh, acceptance that that was when it was written 80 95 96 during the time of emperor domitian and his persecutions which were short um but vicious um there was about 40,000 christians killed um some historians though put it as early as during emperor nero during uh, his persecutions of 80, 64, and 67, which his persecutions were short and pretty, pretty limited. Um, and there's some evidence for that. The, the, the mark of the beast, 666, it, if you look at the Hebrew number system, alternative number system, where they can, there's actually 
um, you can, the Hebrews have another way of doing numbers with letters, and certain numbers are subscribed to the letters. And uh, people can make a strong argument that one way to transliterate the, uh, the word Nero is, is through the, what ends up being the number system 666. And so that was just kind of a, a way to symbolically and encode um, say that, that this was a number put there by uh, Nero. Um, so there's evidence like that that maybe it was written during the time of Nero, but that's a very minority opinion. Um, another minority opinion is as late as as, um, as as some of the persecutions during Emperor Trajan during AD 98 to 117. That doesn't have too much traction. Um, but the Roman persecutions weren't completely widespread throughout the empire throughout the whole time of the Roman conquest. It came in waves, and some of those waves were more widespread than others. So like Nero's, like I said, was, was kind of limited. Uh, Domitian's was short but was somewhat severe. The worst was actually later the, during Diocletian in 284 to 305 AD. That was very widespread and severe right before um, Constantine uh, came into power, and he actually brought peace to the Christians by, with the Edict of Milan, saying we're going to end these persecutions. Um, he had a revelation from Jesus, um, it is said, and that uh, he was converted to Christianity, um, which is debatable among where it was a true conversion or whether he was simply um, doing this for political reasons, riding the waves, like we can't stop this Christian wave that keeps growing and growing despite the per persecutions. Maybe it's best to just get along with them and incorporate them. So yeah. um, there's always debate among the scholars whether it was a true con conversion. But that, all that's just kind of uh, a little history. Um, the, everybody n agrees that the, the book of Revelation was written long before that, and, and just about all the scholars say it was during the persecutions by Domitian in, in AD 95 and 96, while um, John the Apostle would have been pretty old. This is what he wrote in late, late in life. Um, but so that's, that's all to kind of summarize um, the genre and, and who wrote it um, and to whom um, as a letter. Um, besides looking at the genre, the author, the audience, and when, when written, um, it's, it's good to look at kind of the different perspectives that, that people tend to take in interpreting this book, which are wide and varied. Yeah, um, definitely. It's, you can imagine with so much symbolism and such that that there tends to be a, a wide variety of ways to kind of approach this book. And it's a good idea to kind of know what those differences are. So if you're, you're ever reading a book about Revelation um, or listening to a pastor, it's, it's a good idea to listen for if he says what approach he's taking or if he doesn't say to just kind of pick up what kind of approach he is, he is taking. Um, so um, one way to kind of group these approaches is to look at whether someone believes that the book of Revelation is talking about actual events or is it more just all symbolic um, if it's they're talking about actual events then when were these actual events and so this is where you get the preterist view if you think of preterist like if you're if you're into grammar 
the preterite tense is the past tense. Those that are familiar with the grammar side of it, preterite is past. So if you see a preterist view, that means somebody who views revelation as all happened in the past. It all happened in the first century. Back to the Nero example, it's all just code for Babylon, uh, for Rome. That Babylon is, is you know, when, it ta- when Revelation talks about Babylon, that's just code word for Rome. And so this was John talking about what was going to happen to Rome, and therefore all, the, all of Revelation needs to be interpreted that way. This is not about anything future from our standpoint today. It's all happened in the past that Revelation has talked about. It all happened in the first century with Rome. That's the preterist view. Um, the futurist view is the exact ap- opposite. It all happened. It's all about what's going to happen in the future from mm-hmm. our perspective, not mm-hmm. from John's. Yep. But as I'm reading the book now, this is all talking about everything that will happen uh, in the future. Uh, the historist is a combination of the both. Um, they look at it as some has already happened and others is still to happen. So you can go through and kind of check off some things that have happened about you know, the prophecies about Israel coming back as a nation. Israel came back as a nation in you know, 1948. Um, so you can check off, you can check off that one. Um, so, and so it's, there's some things that have happened and some things that, that, that haven't that haven't happened that are like yet to come that are yet right mm-hmm. that are yet to come and there's still some debate as to what things have happened the 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 abomination of desolation is another one which is just a fancy word for the destruction of the temple that happened in AD 70 um you know some believe well the temple could be rebuilt and then destroyed again for another abomination of desolation so you know even the historists kind of debate among themselves about what things have happened and and what things are yet still to happen but that all that's grouped as the historists they tend to 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 view revelation and interpret it uh, from the standpoint of their own generation though so all your historists throughout the throughout time have kind of like like nowadays if you look at what country is going to invade um israel from the east if you look at it from our perspective, a historist is like, well, that's got to be Russia. That's a big, powerful country from the east. And they'll say, oh, that's that's Russia, you know, and, and others have viewed from their own um, timeline um, and have seen like Germany and Hitler. Hitler is the Antichrist and the Germany is the beginning of that new world government, because you can imagine living through World War Two and seeing that you got to be thinking this is the end of the world. Right. And. <laughs> Hitler has got to be the the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And so the historists um, tend to view Revelation. um, uh, Some has happened in the past, some is still happening in the future, but from my standpoint. um, And then you have your idealist, which says that none of this is describing actual events. It's all just allegory to teach teach a lesson. Um, So it's really hard to, because... <clears throat> those that come into this study may have a preconceived um, vision on how, you know, how, how to actually study this. And um, it could really, I think, affect like actually studying the word of God, like going deeper into the scriptures. And it's, I think just from my perspective, I went into you know, studying this without having the four um, different 
um, perspectives that you just mentioned, just so that I can see, you know, for myself, what is the Holy Spirit teaching? Yeah, and and that's why I, I think it's good to know what these different perspectives are. Don't get locked in yeah. to a certain perspective. Definitely. Uh, even kind of view it from the different perspectives and, and, and read the, about the different, uh, you know, listen to different pastors, read different books that come from different angles to just, just kind of see the book of Revelation from these different perspectives. But what makes it even a little bit more complicated is is looking at it from a millennium standpoint um there there are those that uh you know is the millennium literal or not the millennium meaning the the thousand year reign by jesus which is mentioned by john in the book of revelation is it is it is it an actual literal reign by jesus here on earth the same as if you know you look at biden he's the president of the united states will Jesus literally reign here on earth like as president of a country? Um, and you have the amillennialists that say there's no literal millennium. It's it's symbolic. A is, is kind of the, the Greek way of saying no or none. So if you think of it that way, amillennial means there's no millennium. It's not literal. Um, that's kind of getting an idea, kind of goes along with the idealist perspective in the sense that um, that there's, we are living in the millennium is how this perspective kind of sees it. This kind of started when Jesus is on his throne now when he died. And so we are in the, as being in the church age, Jesus is on his throne in heaven. It's not a literal millennium here on earth. It's the millennium in heaven. Um, and this is contrary to the millennial view that says, no, no, there's a literal 1000 year reign by Jesus here on earth. So it's a matter whether you take it literally or more symbolically, a millennial or millennial view. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's really difficult to really pinpoint time, right? In Revelation, we may see like 1000 and we're thinking in our human 1000 years, you know, uh, and I guess I'm just kind of thinking through, um, you know, when, different things, different, uh, I guess, abominations happened on earth and the judgments and the bulls, you know, we, we really can't pinpoint it in our human mind. God's timing is completely different from ours. We could think a thousand years, but I mean, it could be a blink of an eye as we we've read in the Bible. But I think sometimes people could take that literally like it's seven days or it's, you know, it's going to happen in 1000 years. And, you know, just studying, I kind of have a different perspective that, you know, the timing that is stated by John, yes, he's giving that to us from his human perspective. And a lot of times he is being uh, led by the spirit, but also I have to keep this perspective of like my time or God, or the human time is not the same as God's timing. Yeah, and you know, even the the millennial view has has different views on whether the the thousand years is literal or not. Right. So, 
um, you know, some may feel that it's, yeah, a literal thousand years, and others in the millennial view says that Jesus will reign here on earth, but the thousand can be a little bit more symbolic for a certain time frame. Yeah, yeah. Um, So there's even, you know, there's always variance within the, the, the different categories um, as well. Um, but another, another level to group um, the different, the different views on Revelation is whether there is a rapture of the church. The, the rapture, meaning um, where, where Jesus, um, uh, dur- during the tribulation, the great tribulation where all these catastrophes happen, will the church be raptured up into heaven to be kept safe during, during that and then come back down with Jesus uh, in order to reign um, in the millennium uh, here on earth. So in effect, will they, they miss, will, will all the believers miss um, the great tribulation because they will be raptured up? And, and this, this comes from second, or from First Thessalonians when, when it talks about the believers in the, in the blink of an eye will be caught up into to the heavens um, to meet to meet Jesus, and that word "caught up" in the Latin in the Latin Vulgate by Jerome, um, he used the words uh, th- the word um, "rapiamir," rapiamir, um, which is a form of "rapio," which is where we derive the word "rapture" from. Uh, that in the Latin meant "caught up," so that's the word um, "rapture" comes from. Um, so we know that by the book of Revelation, believers will be kept safe, like the believers during um, all the plagues in, um, during, f- with Moses, where, where ke- the Israelites were kept safe in the land of Goshen from all those plagues, that uh, we are promised we are not destined for wrath, and we are kept safe from the wrath that's coming on the other nations. So believers are definitely kept safe according to the book of Revelation. But where are they kept safe? Are they kept safe while here on earth? Because this is widespread catastrophe where it looks like most of the earth is going to be destroyed to where even a loaf of bread could cost like a million dollars because of the scarce resources. And so, you know, how would we, no way we're going to be kept totally safe from all the repercussions of these catastrophes so it got people thinking that maybe you know we'll we'll miss that we'll be raptured up and it's the rapture is hard to find not gonna find it in the book of revelation specifically you kind of have to connect some dots throughout scripture and that's why not everybody falls within this rapture view because they don't connect the same the -hmm. same dots because it's not so literally literally stated but you got the no raptures theories that says we're kept safe through the tribulation here on earth. And then you have the rapture theories of pre, mid, and post-tribulation. The pre-tribulation rapture theories is that it will be raptured before the tribulation. Will, the believers would miss it all. Mm-hmm. We're in heaven during all that catastrophe. The mid-tribulation theories is we're raptured before the worst of the tribulation sometime in the middle of it so we'll kind of get the start of it and then um during the middle of it we're raptured up the post-tribulation theories that were raptured after the tribulation uh so we go through the tribulation we're raptured up mainly just to meet jesus in the air and then come back for the thousand year reign here on earth which is not much different than the no rapture theories except that the no rapture um 
theories don't believe that you don't believe in any millennium mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. and um simply jesus is coming back just to take us to be to live with him forever in heaven so that's what distinguishes the the no rapture theories from the the post um um tribulation theories but of all this um how would you classify yourself i mean starting with the actual events would you say you're a preterist a futurist a historist or an idealist so i mean i've been studying so i didn't want to classify myself at any point but i would say right now i would be a futurist all yet to happen in the future like these are things and you know a lot of people look for signs like you know I think the biggest one right now is like the vaccination passports um, for COVID. Um, And so, you know, some people think that's the the mark of the beast. And, you know, I have different views and we can talk about that in another episode. But um, I would say futurist for me. Okay, so everything is about to happen. What would about the. Uh, millennium. Would you say you're amillennial, no literal millennium? It's all symbolic or millennial? Um, a literal 1,000 year or a long time reign by Jesus here on earth. See, this one's hard for me because I, like I just said earlier, um, that the thousand year reign is difficult for me because I, I'm seeing it from the human perspective. And, you know, God's timing is different, but I don't want to say no literal millennial. So I'm a little, I have to think on that one on where I stand on those two. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're definitely starting like a beginning to study Revelation, then it's, it's harder. Sometimes you want to keep an, it's good to keep an open mind to kind of figure out where you, you stand on some of these things. How about the rapture of the church? Do you believe there's no rapture? Or do you believe there is one? And then it happens before like pre or mid or post tribulation. This is, this is a challenge one too, because I mean, you know, study, are we going to be here and kept safe during the tribulation? I know that we're going to be kept safe because I always go back to my, my proverb that says that the righteous will not beg for bread. And I just believe that God knows his righteous people um, and that he will keep us safe. I mean, that is a promise. We are, we are his children, but um, you know, this is a big debatable thing with you've got, I know many friends that believe in the rapture. I have very close friends. Um, And I have some friends that, you know, are post, and I'm still, I still want to gather my thoughts around this because, you know, as I see a lot of these things happening, um, even when we read Revelation, and I know you'll get through that, and there's some really difficult passages, but there are some people that are getting saved, you know, even through a lot of these judgments, and they're kept safe. It's one of my favorite passages is like enduring. This is a call for wisdom to endure for those who believe in Jesus Christ because he will keep us safe. So I'm still, I've got to 
think through these uh, four, the no rapture, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulations to really say where, where I stand on these. Long answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I understand that too. And, you know, the jury's a, a lot out on, on my thinking as well. I kind of try to keep an open mind with, with all of this as a possibility. But I have a tendency to have a, some trouble with the rapture theories because, or the rapture view, um, because it's not so literally stated. And uh, sometimes I feel that the, what, what I see others using um, as evidence, the scripture, um, to me is not strong. You know, I have a hard time. It's like that, that it's, it doesn't, it, I need, I would love to have something that just comes out and, and says it versus kind of having to imply it a little bit. Right. By and some of the things. In and the, no the offense verses. to those that we love because, you know, some people do have that, that view of the tribulation coming to, I mean, some of the pastors I listen to out in California have that view um, but you know, I think, I, I just think that, no, more, and I'm open to the view. I'm yeah. completely open to it. Um, and I can see how it's, it's possible. Yeah. Um, but you know, I keep an open mind. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say that, that the rapture is, is definite as, as doctrine. Right. Um, because it, it just doesn't state it that, that definite for me. It's so, and, so I'm open to it, but yeah. it's one of the, of the several things I'm kind and of open I think, to. I think that's your that's a great perspective to keep um you know as we're going through this and many people that have not um had the historical part of this book you know are coming in either with a different perspective but it is good to keep an open mind because i believe that the lord can show us i mean this is we're already you'll get into this a lot more so but i mean this book is a blessing to us to be able to know and have further wisdom. And so I do believe the more we seek the Lord that we are, we are given wisdom to see what perspectives are what, like what the Lord wants us to, to have. And, you know, we just want to, we want to stray, stay true to the word of God and, um, basically try to understand it through that, through those lenses of the Holy Spirit. Right. But, you know, just to be fair, to give like my pers perspective, what I want to happen, <laughs> what I would love to happen um, is, is that Jesus is just coming to take us to live forever yeah. in, in heaven. But you I know, think it that's, gets, that's what I want to happen. Yeah. But, but it's so complicated, though, with all of this theology, it can get really complicated. Right. And what, what I tend to believe that I think is, is being said though, um, is I tend to be more historicist. Um, I, I, like, I like the idea of taking a literal interpretation of any book in the Bible. So if I take a literal interpretation of, of Revelation, um, then I, I tend to go more with a historicist view. Some things have already happened, and I can see some things that can be checked off as happened, and other things are still yet to happen in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to be... I'm... A, I'm uh, I'm I'm still looking at the amillennial and millennial literal reign by Jesus here on here on earth tend to lean more towards the the millennial um uh, because that's what's literally stated in in revelation um I tend to be more no rapture that will be here on earth um kept being kept safe here but definitely open to the um 
to the the rapture theories. Um, but it's good to know where your church stands. Yeah, stands on on this. It's a good you know, thought. I I grew up in the Lutheran church, and they were more amillennial, um, more idealist. That the belief that Jesus is is going to come again simply to take us. Um, to heaven, and so everything in Revelation is more idealist, is is more allegory to kind of teach teach a lesson. But where do you think the Baptist Church? How would they be classified? I would on say these? they're classified probably as the millennial. Millennial. Okay. How about whether preterist, futurist, historist, or idealist? Uh, I would think. You know, I don't don't pinpoint me on this, but I would probably think that they're futurists and they would be all about the rapture. Um, yeah, and I think that's you know I I think that's correct on what Baptists tend to be, and I, there's a reason why I'm tend, I'm using the word tend. Baptists tend to be, and I would say either futurists or historists, um, because I I think because uh, um, they're very similar. But so whether you think that that nothing has happened yet and will happen in the future, or there's some things that have already happened and others that are still yet to happen. So either futurists or historists, I would probably say more historists um, as a as a tendency, but but certainly literal millennial thousand year reign by Jesus here on Earth and pre-tribulation rapture uh, tends to be. Uh, and I get that tendency feeling mainly by just anecdotally, you know, just by by the books you you read that are written by Baptists and talking to Baptists, they, they tend to be very set in their eschatology, eschatology meaning the theology of the end times, um, as being as, uh, literal, what some things have happened, other things still to happen, a literal thousand-year reign, and they tend to be rapture theories, um, usually pre-tribulation, kind of going back to the popular book and, and movie um, Left Behind. Left Behind, yeah. By Tim LaHaye, which was very uh, pre-tribulation rapture millennial historicist in its in its viewpoint. So. And it's not like we're picking on Baptists. No, no, because we, we go <laughs> no. to Baptist church now, so uh, yeah. uh, we're, trying to, we're kind <laughs> yeah. of taking, trying to look at this yeah. from, from all angles and not right. necessarily specifically from a Baptist standpoint but you know the baptists in general at least the southern baptist church that we are members of don't specifically come out and say doctrinally this is what we believe we are historist millennial pre-tribulation we have to kind of dig deep and and identify like what you know what what they stand for right so like before i started a small group with the baptist church about you know trying to take kind of a a broad scope and looking at the different views, I wanted to, to make sure, you know, what is the, is there a specific Baptist stance on the end time? So I, I looked up, I looked up the, um, the 2000 Baptist faith and, and message to see what is the, the specific uh, doctrinal stance of the Southern Baptist convention. And I had to, in, in seminary school, I had to um, study in, in the history of Christianity and the history of the Baptist church class, um, how difficult it is to come up with a, a faith and message. The Baptist church tends to resist creeds, you know, and, and, and doesn't want to consider itself a denomination. It really wants to emphasize the independence of the churches and not be controlled by an outside denominational organization, not have to check off certain creeds. So they're, 
So they're very resistant to coming up with a kind of a creedal statement of faith that all the churches have to sign off for. But at the mm -hmm. same time, even if we have this loose association in the Southern Baptist Convention, what churches want to be in this association? What do we believe as a Southern Baptist uh, Convention yeah. about the, the end times? And when I looked it up, you have their statement on the kingdom and the last things. There's two things. And all it says about the kingdom you know, is there going to be a thousand year literal reign according to, you know, Baptist beliefs? Is this, is this what we take a, a doctrinal stance on? And what it says about the kingdom is the kingdom of God includes both his general sovereignty over the universe and his particular kingship over men who willfully acknowledge him as king. Particularly the kingdom is the realm of salvation into which men enter by trustful childlike commitment to Jesus Christ. Christians ought to pray and to labor that the kingdom may come and God's will be done on earth. The full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ and the end of this age. So to say anything about a, about a thousand year literal reign um, by Jesus. You see anything in there? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it seems to allow for a diversity of opinion. It really kind of focuses on the kingdom being individual salvation, which Jesus talked about too. The kingdom of God is about our salvation and that the full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ. What, what is, they don't define what that full consummation is. So it kind of allows for some diversity of opinion. Um, same with the last things. It talks about God in his own time and in his own way will bring about the appropriate end. That Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in the glory of the earth. The dead will be raised. Christ will judge all men. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting judgment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive the reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. Um, so is there is there anything here in the last things... Um, about a millennial kingdom no. as well and about a rapture no um right it, it's it, it almost seems amillennialist it talks a lot about you know god yeah. in his own time will bring about its appropriate end like whatever that might be mm -hmm. you know it's allowing for people to have different opinions on it and and what we know for sure and that will state for sure is that jesus christ will return personally in order to bring the dead will be raised the right the righteous will go to heaven the unrighteous to hell and so it's th this is what there's universal agreement so it's kind of recognizing that there's a diversity of opinion among the baptist church and it's allowing for that uh what we do agree on is that we will live forever in heaven there will be a, a time of judgment for those that don't believe um so there there is a diversity of opinion that is allowed you know, when I looked up the, our, our own church and looked on, on the, um, the website there and um, looking there personally at our own church, it's, we looked at what we believe. They have a list on there on the different things that we, that we believe on. And um, they don't, uh, you could go through this yourself for those that go to this church and it's there's there's nothing written on the end times um doesn't cover it at all so um it there's definitely allows for a diversity of opinion in our own church that we go to well i would say that there's a diversity of opinions on the end time um among believers the basically like evangelicals different people um 
and it just kind of makes it really difficult to understand. And, you know, there's not, we shouldn't debate about these things. Some people get really worked up and start debating. Um, and there's other things that we can talk about debating on, but, um, I think, you know, the opinion on the end times can be different for evangelicals, but I think we just need to keep an open view perspective and really allow the Holy Spirit to, to guide. But that would be, that would be Tanya's proper view. <laughs> well, that, that would kind of be my, my proper view is as well from, from, from my standpoint, you know, I, you know, being open to the different viewpoints, not being dogmatic about a, a certain way. I think if, if we get too dogmatic about prophecy that's in the future, we could, we could miss it if we get too locked in. Uh, that's how people missed the first coming of Jesus because um, they didn't, it, it didn't fit um, what people viewed as, as the prophecies about what the Messiah would be like. I mean, most of the focus on the, pro- on the prophecies in the Bible throughout the Old Testament was that Jesus, that the Messiah would come and would would save Israel from all the oppression. I mean, they were promised a promised land in in the Bible and to be a nation, and yet they spent most of their history being occupied by outside by outside countries. Assyria, Babylon, and Persia, then the Greeks, and then the Romans, and throughout this whole history, all these prophets are saying, hang in there. Just hang in there a little longer. There's going to be a Messiah who is going to rescue us. It's going to save us from all these oppressors. It's going to defeat all these uh, these oppressors and bring judgment, and even listed all these countries and nations one by one and, and talked about what judgment was going to be on, on each and every one, and then bringing in this utopia time where Israel would once again live in their promised land without being having an occupying force above them, and the Messiah would reign and rule during this time. He would also be a suffering servant. Isaiah talked a lot about that. They would be pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we will be healed. So he would be a suffering servant. And Jesus fulfilled the suffering servant, and he died for our sins and our iniquities. So people, everybody could see that. You make a strong argument. But then those that didn't believe in, in the Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, were like, but wait a minute, where's Where's Israel coming together as a nation, and um, and and being uh, and and the Messiah ruling and Jesus ruling this nation? It's, uh, that didn't happen. Well, the Book of Revelation answers that. There's a second coming, and if you look at the literalness of of it, you see that Jesus does come back. He does have judgment on all the nations. And then he reigns very literally, like the prophecy says, here on earth um, with the country. So if, if you, if I like to take the, the literal interpretation of, of um, Revelation, and that helps us understand the symbolic. Um, it's a lot like with Song of Solomon, uh, the book of Song of Solomon. Um, is is another book that's really hard to understand and has a lot of controversy because it's what I about what I call the S word, you know, about sex. And there was a time in church history where where that was seen as evil and as wrong instead of as a gift from God. But if and so they allegorized and symbolized all of the Song of Solomon 
so that it, it's all just about Jesus uh, and the church or just about Israel uh, and God. And so, um, but you miss a very important message when you do that, when, it's, when it talks about the sign and seal of the covenant of marriage, about sex. I mean, it's very, very literally about that when it's using very sensuous fruit, um, and it, it, it talks about uh, the vineyard as, as being symbolic of, of, of one's sensuousness, and it defines that at the very beginning if, if, you're, if you're not just closed off uh, to that view. So if, it, if you, the way to interpret the Song of Solomon is to look at the literal in order to, and it, because it, it defines what the symbolism is. Same with Revelation. If you look at the literal, it defines what the symbolic is, and and there's a lot about Revelation that's not written symbolically at all. It's just very literally stated. And if you list off those things, what's literally stated is you know, Jesus comes again, first with a ca catastrophic, unprecedented judgment. Most of the earth is destroyed. Almost all nations are gone except Israel. Believers are kept safe, whether here on earth or raptured. Um, an evil one-world government rises out of the chaos in order to bring order. There's an Antichrist that leads this government as the devil's agent. The Antichrist demands the mark of the beast as a sign of loyalty. Believers are marked by a seal that keeps them safe. There's a small remnant of 144,000 believers. That 144 is another number that could be symbolic, maybe not an exact number, but there is a small remnant of at least about 144,000 believers at this time. There are two witnesses who are very powerful prophets, who are killed and are resurrected. Uh, there's a big battle at the Valley of Armageddon and the forces of good wind. Jesus then reigns here on earth in the capital of a new Jerusalem for a thousand years or thereabouts in that time frame in a, in a perfect utopia. And then the devil and his forces are thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, that's very literally and in, in stated without any kind of symbolism. And, you know, if we maintain that literal interpretation of revelation it can unlock a lot of the symbolism if we make this definite stuff symbolic then revelation can mean absolutely whatever we want it to mean and then how helpful is that just like the song of solomon can mean whatever you want it to mean if you make everything symbolic and there's the interpretations on the song of solomon are all over the place because of that and the interpretations of revelation are all over the place because if we just symbolize even the very literal definite things that are stated in revelation then your interpretations just they, they get off the rails oftentimes so um, i like to stick very literally to the text it's the best way to interpret all of the bible to include revelation it's to really be grounded in, in what is literally stated and not symbolically um, stated. Yeah, this is great. I mean, this gives us a great overview as we prepare to get into uh, Revelation. And I know we're we're coming to the end of our show right now. Um, so, is there anything else that you want to let our listeners know? Uh, it's it's definitely a fun book. Uh, because of the diversity of opinions and the d different ways to look at it, it's definitely a fun, a fun book to study and to kind of see what other people's viewpoints are on it. And, you know, if we can keep an open mind on that, I think that's a w what is intended with most of prophecy is to give us uh, not an exact play by play 
of what exactly is going to happen. Otherwise, they would have God would have just revealed it that way. Right. But to give us a glimpse into the future so that we recognize the events as they're happening. And if we keep an open mind, we can recognize the events that are happening. If we get too set of an eschatology, we can miss it just like what was missed in the in the first in the first coming. So, you know, that's that's what I like to do in a study because there's going to probably be a diversity of opinions. That's welcome those diversity of opinions. That's learn from each other when we're studying the book of Revelation and, and what things could possibly mean. But at the same time, also realizing the book of Revelation can't mean ex- any, anything that we want it to mean. Stay grounded in what is literally stated in Revelation is what can make a study very helpful. Yeah, this is great information um, and background as we prepare to get into chapter one in our next episode. So with that, um, thank you again for joining the Kohler Mania podcast where we focus on God and family. And now we are going through the book of Revelation. So until next time, God bless.